You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have a treat for you today when we're going back to talk about X-Men, the animated series, but also about X-Men 97, the sequel series that has been announced for Disney+, when we have Eric and Julia Leewald, as well as Larry Houston, on the show. Now, if you followed the show, you know that I've had Eric and Julia on before, as well as Larry, on two separate episodes where I've interviewed them. Eric was the showrunner for X-Men the Animated Series, Larry was the director, and Julia also contributed to the series as a writer, as well as, I think, a lot of creative input behind the scenes that wasn't officially recognized. But in this episode, we have them back in their capacity as consultants for X-Men 97. So we're going to talk about the show. We're going to talk about the new book that Eric and Julia have put out that talks about the art of the X-Men, which of course also goes into Larry's domain and responsibilities on the show. And then we talk about X-Men 97. So we got all that stuff in there on this episode. Now... As per usual with interview episodes, uh, I'm not going to drag things out with a lot of details about stuff going on in my life. We can do that during the panel episodes. And so we're going to just pause for a promo from another fine podcast, and then we are going to get into the interview. I'm Mark McCray, the author of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. And if you're not listening to our podcast, then you're missing out on amazing interviews with Larry Houston, Tom Tatawanovich, Keone Young, Michael Swanigan, Ned Hastings, Bill Gallier, Dan Gilvazan, Rob Lamb, and so many others. Kick back and let Dan Clink and I peel back the curtain on the animation industry. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast can be found on the ESO Network and all podcasting platforms. And we're back. Like I talked about at the top of the show, we have three returning guests that we talked with previously about X-Men the Animated Series, but are now consultants on X-Men 97. First up, that is Eric and Julia Leewald. Welcome back to the 42 cast. Oh, thanks so much for having us back on. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, no, it's good to have you back. And uh, also with us is Larry Houston. Welcome back, Larry. Nice to be here. Glad you invited me. Yeah, no, it's always good to talk about my favorite show from my childhood with the three of you. 
But before we start talking about X-Men stuff, I did want to briefly talk about something that's happened since we last chatted. I think I chatted, even though I chatted with you separately, it was about three years ago, I think, with both of, you know, with, with both Eric and Julia and Larry. And since then, Michael Edens has passed away. And I've been thinking about what I wanted to do about that. Michael was the very first guest that I ever had on the 42 cast. Even though he appeared with Mark, I say he's my first guest because he's the <laughs> one that I talked with. And then he said, you want Mark to come too? And I said, oh, yes, please. <laughs> if you can get Mark too, that would be great. So uh, it's episode 10 of the 42 cast. I have both uh, Michael and Mark on to talk. But my memories of Michael are that he was so generous with this time. Like I mentioned, he was not only willing to do a show that when we recorded it hadn't even started yet. I just wanted to have some episodes banked up before I even released anything. And was willing uh, to get his brother on so that he could talk about X-Men and Exo Squad also. And the, the time that he took even helping or uh, even coming back, because the first time we tried to record, there were a lot of technical difficulties trying to get both of them on because they both had to come in from the phone rather than the internet. And I was having difficulty getting Skype to put them both on and recording them both and all that kind of stuff. So he didn't give up. And they came back and and all of that. And in fact, when uh, I heard that he was ill, I tried to get my various friends, people that I knew to sort of talk about their experiences with the content that he's made, not just X-Men, but things like Beetlejuice and Real Ghostbusters and, and some of that other stuff that he's worked on. Unfortunately, he passed before. I could send that to his family so that they could share it with him. But uh, I'm going to put that up as uh, an extra on the show notes so that anyone who wants to can look at that. Because I think that even if that's a name you're not familiar with, if you grew up in the 80s, 90s, or even the early 2000s, you are most likely familiar with something that Michael worked on. Yeah, He was a very prolific writer. So, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to kind of briefly just because I know uh, Eric and Julia, you were very close to Michael and uh, Larry, I'm sure you knew Michael from at least working with him on X-Men and possibly from other things as well. So, Larry, why don't you just start us off? Any memories about Michael that you would like to share? Well, for me, my memories of of him is more, you know, reading the scripts. Uh, In the early days, it was pretty much I, I other than Eric and Julia, we we, I didn't interact with a lot of the uh, writers at the time. And I just enjoyed the, the scripts that I would get and how well they were written. And it was like great character dramas. And, um, you know, it was like having that type of quality of, of scripts to work from. It's like gold because all you got to do is take it. And then just for me, the visuals, just try and make it the best that I could at the time. And uh, so my memories is of him is, is, is of his, work his work spoke for himself to me but uh yeah i didn't eric and has been you know that was his bud for a long time so these guys you know he knows them a lot better than i do oh yeah it, uh, it was uh i had the the great good fortune of meeting michael and mark in in college when we were all just kind of movie struck uh this in, was in in east tennessee so it's not like we were hollywood adjacent or really had a clue what was going on out here or, or a contact, you know, to make it out here. Just, we met at the university film committee where we programmed 180 movies a year for the students to come see. Nowadays, I don't know if they even bother with that anymore, but it used to be that in the seventies, when we were doing this, 
uh, we'd have four or five nights a week uh, at a couple of the places in the university, a couple of the auditoriums where we'd show movies and the students get in for free or for 75 cents or something. And the great thing about it was, is that as movie lovers, Mark and Michael and I, we got to see all 180 of them for free <laughs> and bring a date for free. And we also got to choose out of the thousands of movies you could pick to show. We got to choose, you know, weird, strange old movies or <laughs> intense dramas. Or we we got to it was it was a little it was a little congress of twenty or thirty people that would horse trade and say, "Well, I'll I'll, I'll get you this Gary Cooper movie if you'll get me this John Ford movie." And you went back and forth, <laughs> and so got to know him well and was just close, close friends with both of them. From that point on, Michael and I got hired after college for minimum wage at a local TV production uh, studio for a year. So we worked there together. We reopened a old movie palace in Knoxville called the Tennessee Theater back in 1978. And uh, Michael and Mark were janitors. They got, they got, free, they got free room and board living in, in the dressing rooms underneath the stage. And uh, in and, and a low wage in return for being part of this kind of you know fandom fandom of the opera like 1927 <laughs> movie palace, which was just you know, these things you do in your 20s. They're just you look back and say, how did we ever get into get ourselves into that? How did we manage to do that? So from the time from college and after we started writing together, the three of us, and stuff that would never get produced, but we just we just enjoyed it and we had whatever jobs we had. We're just trying to figure out how to break in out here. And we tried and we tried and I was getting my late 20s and I stumbled into a job. Uh, a neighbor said they're hiring people at Hanna-Barbera. This is 1984. And I went there and another UT, another UT friend of Mark and Michael's and I pitched a little bit, a little bunch of stuff and said, well, you know, they may be okay. We'll let them pitch. Uh, no, but we got one show and then uh, we got more offered and I called Mark out. I called Michael out. And so they both, they both started writing with me like two months into it. It was like, it was, it was enlightened self-interest on my part. <laughs> I, I talked the story editor and I said, well, give me two assignments. I'll give one to Mark and you'll see how good they are. And then he'll give one to Michael and see how good they are. And by the time, the series was over, we would have all proved ourselves to this guy and he'd tell his friends and the career just kind of blossomed that way. And it all came from a neighbor saying they had a lot, suddenly they had a lot of work at Hanna-Barbera. Can you get your foot in the door? And those two guys came with, so from 85 to, I'd, you know, the mid 2000s. So for 20 years, those guys just wrote and wrote and wrote. And I, it's like Larry can tell you, when you get people that you know and trust, you're given a hard job, you hire the best people like that, and you can just, you don't have to worry about them. Right. That's not the case with half the writers that you have to employ or half the artists you have to employ. You don't know until you see it if you're going to have to fix half of it. With those guys, you just, okay, I'm going to have a weekend with my family because Mark and Michael are, are writing on those. I, in fact, one of my favorite bits of memory of the two of them, besides just all the personal stuff. I mean, I was best man at Mark's wedding and Mark was best man at my wedding. You knew them longer than you've known me. I know them longer than I know her. Uh, but one of my favorite moments is when we, Marvel gave us the, the go ahead to do the, uh, to do the Phoenix saga, five part episode. 
Mark and Michael particularly had a real strong sense of story structure. And so I said, look, I mean, we had been rushing through this and I just been <laughs> handing out assignments as fast as it could because we we're always under deadline. Larry can tell you, we we're always behind. Mm-hmm. Suddenly we had a few extra months to go. I said, okay, can you let me hold these five out just for Mark and Michael and just let those two guys handle it? And that way I don't have to worry about breaking in three or four new writers on this very important story. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, sure. Uh, we've got time for a change. Indulge yourself, Eric. And so that, to my mind, it's the reason that story holds together so beautifully is that it was those two guys and their sense of story. They grew up on a they grew up on a farm outside of Nashville. I don't know where they got the erudition. <laughs> Michael Michael was uh, two classes away from finishing his PhD in history, mm. and Mark was valedictorian of the university. We had thirty thousand people at the university, and he was like one of three people that had a perfect grade average. I tell you, one of the joys for me getting to meet them and and getting as Facebook friends on them was watching their debates on Facebook (laughs) that the two of them would have about, you know, politics, about history, about whatever. And just like looking at the back and forth between the two of them, because, yeah, I mean, they were both (laughs) very well educated and they both made very good points. And it was just fascinating watching that where it was like, they clearly, yeah, they clearly locked horns and, you know, sibling rivalry and all that. But, but it's not like a lot of times when you see people debating things, like they get like kind of ugly these days, like them, it didn't get ugly. It was just, they had two different, you know, ideological viewpoints. It was interesting just watching the debate go. Yeah. And and Michael had a, was a great reputation in college. He was the only person we knew who was burned out of two houses. There was one oh. that was a historic house that that it was a shame. This was Knoxville, Tennessee. Knoxville, Tennessee. Student housing. Nine, you know, you know, Victorian houses from the turn of the century, and one was burned down. Michael lost his two thousand books, and it was a shame. Yeah. Then a year and a half later, or less than that, he said mm-hmm. that we hear there's a fire. There's a second house. And it was in the newspaper the next day. It was, it was a nasty fire. It was a three-story building, and uh, one person died. And but the story in the in the student newspaper the next day was when the firemen got to the house, they heard noises up up on the roof on the third floor. They put their ladder up, and they couldn't see who was up there, but they heard a voice call down saying, "Would you hurry? It's getting a little warm up here." <laughs> and that was Michael. You know, keeping his cool. Not panicking. Yeah. He, had his, he had his jeans on. He had his wallet in his pocket. I don't think he had a shirt or shoes, but that he got out with his jeans and his wallet. And uh, I don't know if that informed his uh, his character going forward, but he survived two, you know, two events like that in college. And so he had a certain le- legendary quality among his friends. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's a nice story. And from my standpoint as a fan, you know, I've said this before on the show, but watching X-Men and seeing those names, you know, both Michael and Mark's names, that's when I started paying attention to writers. You know, I never really paid attention in previous shows. You know, I know they showed, you know, by whoever, but the names never really meant anything. But I just started noticing those same two names and always on episodes where I was like, wow, this one is really good. So um, it was just one of those things where it's like, and then I started paying more attention because, you know, I started saying like, oh, okay, who are these, you know, writers that are writing for it and, you know, putting together things that were like, you know, these, these writers seem to delve into certain things and whatnot. And so, yeah, it was, it was them. It was the, the two of them. Yeah. We're, you know, we were lucky at the time that there was a time before we did the X-Men that 
when shows went on the air, they had no upfront cre- credits. So they have the blanket credits at the end and you didn't know who wrote what. So it was lucky that with the X-Men, we were able to put who did what up front so that they could tell, oh, okay, this is this guy, this is this person, mm-hmm. you know. So you, you lucked out on that in, you know, in the 90s that that was a tradition yeah. that we got put into the, into the shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was much more like uh, how TV shows, you know, live action TV shows do things where the credits kind of roll through the very beginning of the, of the story as things mm-hmm. are actually happening on screen, you know. Yeah, it wasn't a tradition before. That's that's unfortunate part. There are a mm-hmm. lot of old shows that I grew up with, 60s and 70s and 80s. I had no idea who did what, you know, who wrote yeah. that. Yeah, and we even, that was even something with, with the X-Men where I noticed, you know, there'd be some, I'd get the storyboards, obviously, from Larry, and I'd say, you know, this one looks really sharp again. I He always had two or three artists working because they're so huge uh, on each storyboard. And... I think it would be a great if, like with comics, that in the future, if you could say, you know, who 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 boarded this for Larry? I mean, it's got mm-hmm. the director, which is the, the crucial thing. But uh, that's Larry's name for 66 in a row. It would be, <laughs> be, be cool to know, uh, you know, to know who it was, you know, the Drew Act one of... Uh, Anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> apologies. Yeah, yeah apologies for the phone. There's been some other shows I think after the year 2000, where they, uh, it was on Cartoon Network and some Nickelodeon sometimes, where they would uh, up front tell you who the, who did the storyboard. They would mm. actually put it up front. But it, that's been in the year 2000 plus. It, that was not a tradition back when. Yeah. And um, it was something that we had always been fighting for. But, you know, it went in one ear out the other to the management. Yeah. You know, what that... I mean, what that meant to them, it was like a little bit extra money, not that much, but you'd have to have a Chiron guy person type in the names and typeset it on for video, which meant another, I don't know, five minutes. <laughs> but you know, you couldn't convince them that people, you know, one of the one of the rewards of working in this business is that is seeing your name there. Yeah. And uh yeah. Is it sure ain't for the money? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the talent ought to be recognized for what they did, right? Oh, no, agreed. agreed. Eric remembers uh, the RoboCop series we did together. Mm-hmm. I was trying to fight with uh, Robert Winthrop, who was in charge. I wanted some upfront credits, and I lost that battle because I wasn't in charge. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, I tried. Yeah. So, I mean, actually speaking about the art, though, I mean, I think that's a good segue uh, to discuss, uh, you know, Eric, last time you were on, you had just had the the book previously on X-Men, you know, just been released. And since then, there's X-Men, the art and making of the animated series that's come out. So why did you feel like a second book was necessary? Well, funny you should ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, they, they asked this. We Marvel asked us to do it. They oh. they uh, we got an email. We were afraid, you know, we had done the first book without Marvel's permission. An oral history of X Men previously yeah. on X Men right. that you wrote came out in yeah. 2017. So it's really dense with interviews and with people's experiences and all that stuff's public domain, obviously. But we didn't have the rights to the beautiful artwork and and a lot of, of the material, any of the screen material on screen material. But we sent out the book, and we get this notice from Marvel saying, say, you know, 
from somebody we don't know at Marvel and head of global licensing and thinking, well, are they about to sue us? And then we read further down and said, Oh no, no, we all read your book. And we, all, we loved your book, but we're about to get the rights from Fox back. And we'd like to do, you know, a big art book, a big coffee table book uh, about the show because, you know, it's the biggest hit in the history of Marvel television. And we want, and we know that there are hundreds, you know, hundreds of millions of fans out there. It's something it, you know, we're, we're talking to publishers now that, we know the rights are coming together and Disney plus is going to be happening. We yeah. want, uh, you know, this is like number one on our list of, of books to do with Abrams, which is a beautiful coffee table press. But they just had a Mark, Larry, did you get that 150, that huge, like $150 Marvel book from, from oh, I saw it. yeah, I saw it. No, we I haven't bought it, but yes, I did see it. It looked fantastic. Yeah. So anyway, they, so they asked us to do it and, and we yeah. got the impression the book was going to go forward with or yeah. without it. Yeah, they said, said we're going to do this, property. but we want to talk to you guys first because you're in the, in the middle of this and you're kind of carrying the torch. You know, you and Larry are carrying the torch for this over the last five years at cons and things where mm -hmm. nobody else is doing it. And we said, okay, yeah, great. And we it, said, yay. We said, yay. And then we realized, oh, my God what if we can't find any of this artwork? Because <laughs> they put it on us to dig through with people like Larry and other artists yeah. to find out if people had stuff in their basements or in their dusty storage bins. And we didn't, you know, we, we obviously we could do the, 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 the writing part. That was, it's a much smaller amount of writing than in the first book, but would we have the visuals to illustrate that? And luckily between like Dan Wiesenmeyer and, uh, Mark, uh, Mark Lewis, Lewis, and a bunch of other people. They kept a lot of stuff. And Larry, and Houston. Larry, Larry Houston. Yeah. And and then we got this, this wonderful art, art gallery, art gallery called Van Eaton Galleries in yeah. Sherman Oaks, California. They do amazing um, animation cell, and, and they specialize offers. in Disney and in X Men. And they had like three or four hundred X Men cells where. There aren't that many available anymore. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, made, they're probably under a thousand anywhere on the planet, and they had three hundred of them. And they just said, "Oh yeah, use any of these you like. Here, let us make beautiful high res scans for you for your book." And they were incredibly helpful. Yeah, I'm sure they made some sales off of it, and so it's you know enlightened self interest. But the people there were were great. To, so that was, you know, that was probably fifteen percent of the book was stuff we got from them. Mm. So you know, there's this, and we didn't know, you know, when we started out, if we'd find this stuff and we ended up doing it and, and it's just, it's such a compliment. It's so different. If you've seen the book, it really goes into what it was like to make, you know, at a pre-internet era at a pre-computerized era, what it was like to produce a show, how involved, how hard it was. I mean, we were amazed because we just spent all our time writing <laughs> that takes, that's enough of a job. Mm -hmm. Knowing what they went through, like at, at Graz, you know, what the production managers yeah. went through, what they had to box up and send overseas and hope that they understood overseas and didn't get backwards. And it just just the hundreds of thousands of hours and the hundreds of people that went into each episode. And uh, we figured maybe a couple hundred thousand paintings per episode. If you do, if you've got eight or nine and you, think, right. you know, including background and props and characters and mouths and foreground. And, and, a, and then that's like a 15th of a second. And then you need to change seven of those. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the amount of painting that went in. Yeah. And I guess nowadays, 
Larry, these, these young artists, like on the new show, they just say, okay, it starts here and it ends here. Hit the button and let the computer figure it out. There's, there's a lot of that, yeah, because everything now on the pre-production side, it's very computerized. So people are, people, the kids are doing more uh, what I call animatics than storyboards. Okay. And uh, so they're almost like doing all the key animation poses for, for a sequence or a scene, which requires a lot more work. And um, when I was talking, when we're, when I was talking with, you know, the people who are doing the new series now, I had maybe from getting a script from the editors to shipping it off to ACOM, I had, uh, I believe, nine weeks. That's it to do everything, which is take the script, storyboard it, do all the backgrounds, do the colors, do the, you know, the whole nine yards color keys and draw up any new characters, background characters, <gasps> ship it out. Right now, they've got like two years. <laughs> they do. <laughs> we're just, we, we're just, we're the crotchety old people saying, you've got two years to do 10 episodes? Yeah. We have like, we had like eight months to do 13. Uphill yeah. both ways. Yeah. Right. yeah. So. Hand, hand drawn. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I get the scripts, produce it, out the door. And it'll, it was like this constantly. We you just had to get it done because we had huge deadlines. And so, yeah, the stuff that kids got today, I mean, it's like, man, <laughs> it would have been so nice to actually work on a show and actually think about what you're doing before you pass it over off your desk. Because yeah. everything I was working on, I was working on it was all stream of consciousness. You know, look at it. Does it work? No, does it doesn't work. Okay, redraw it. Okay. And I would redraw it, send it to Mark Lewis. He he clean it up, and then we put it back in and send it off to the timing director. It was crazy. Yeah. So Larry, I mean, since you were in charge of the art side of things, like how how did you feel when Eric and Julia talked to you and said, like, "Hey, Marvel wants a book, and it's all about the art." You know, basically all the stuff that you were you supervising. No, I felt good about it. The thing was the one the I tell them I don't know what I have. I have a storage unit haven't physically been in, in it in probably like 10 years and my wife's going why do you have that thing anyway so uh, so but they were they were nice enough they came down to the storage unit and we started taking stuff out and i didn't know it i had i had the originals to my x-men intro the intro to the mm -hmm. show i didn't know i had it it was like oh look at that there it is <laughs> yeah. yeah i saw that in the book yeah Speaking of the book Larry and Rick Holberg, another artist on the show, did the front cover art and the back cover art for the specifically for the book. Yeah. Uh, and on, on top of everything else. So that's for yeah. for a true X-Men fan, that's really neat. Yeah, that was fun to draw. And so whatever I had for them that they could cherry pick out, like, oh yeah, go for it. So they yeah. took that and some other stuff and and uh it ended up in the book. Some of it did, I think. You had you had you had a vault. You had so much. You actually had to, you know, pick and choose. Yeah, yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah, twenty five years later, thirty years later, to 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 have been able to put our hands on anything, much less the quality of material that we were able to find was. Yeah, we were really, really nice. Really lucky, lucky with Mark and Dan because they just decided to keep everything they ever designed for the show, mm. and Mark cleaned up all the the character designs from episode 14 through episode 76. So he had every single one of them and he'd already scanned them into his computer. So he just, he, you know, he's just walking encyclopedia 
of how all that happened. And we had other people's stuff, you know, either Dan or Larry or other folks had stuff from the first 13 episodes. So we had it all covered. But if, if, it, if it weren't for Mark, if, if Mark had, you know. Mark Lewis. Yeah, gone off and hadn't been available, it, w- it could have been a challenge. Yeah. So yeah. thank you, Mark, for, for still being around. Yeah. And Mark was very organized. He was a great artist to work with me because he, he could keep track of what was, he could keep track of it. He was a good organizer. And uh, it was really an asset when I was keeping the show because I had so much stuff coming across my desk. It was great to have him there to help me. Yeah, so I mean, I, that already speaks well to the artwork of the X-Men because of the love that people had for it, that they kept their work and things of that nature. But what do you think was unique about the art of the X-Men compared to other things that were coming out at the time that would be of interest to people? Yeah, back in, ni- back in 92, I think the, the stylization of, of, of shows back then was like Scooby-Doo or Super Friends, which is very very cartoony approach to storytelling. And back when we got the chance to do the show, myself, Rick Holberg, and Will Minio, we, we, we all knew we wanted to do stylize it like a Marvel comic book. And at the time it was Jim Lee was in charge of it. So we, uh, between Rick and Will, they, sty- they, did, they took Jim Lee's style and stylized it in, in a way so that it could be animated, but it wouldn't look like, you know, the other, Super Friends show, and we we wanted to add one of the things that was a canard back way back when is that people didn't like to use black on characters, the color black, and so we figured out a way how to to put the black on the characters and still have them move around so that it looked like a deep shadow on it, and so we we stylized it to look like a comic book basically. We're trying to get as close to a comic book as we could without you know, within the boundaries of the budget we had. That was the other thing is that, you know, we didn't have a Disney budget. So we had to be, I had, we had to be, and I had to be very cognizant about how to show the characters and show the adventure without breaking the budget and you know, doing, doing things that, you know, when you see the finished product, it's going to look like crap. So I, I would go through it and um, make sure that the scenes that a person over in, in Korea could animate it without it looking really bad. So I, my training for that was back in the early 60s, there was a show called Johnny Quest done by Doug Wildey. And when you watch it, it was kind of limited animation. Well, it was limited animation, but when they had these setups of these characters, they'd have black on them, but it, and it'd be really, really strong layouts, but hardly nothing moved, but it, it didn't matter because it looked great. And so, Will and I and Rick, we were trying to get that, take that approach, what we grew up with, and put it into the X-Men. And um, so that's what, that's the approach we did to try and make it, um, make it stand out from the crowd, from what was out in the 90s. Larry, I just found out in December, Larry, uh, when we were at LA Comic-Con together, first time I'd ever heard the reasoning behind Storm and your decision to use the white outfit for her in the animated series. Oh yeah, because uh, when I was, I was one of the three, I worked on the, um, the pilot, uh, Pride of the X-Men. And it was also, we did the X-Men within the, within the show called Spider-Man and Amazing Friends, where we, we had Storm in the black outfit. And when she'd go up into the sky to create her event, 
clouds come in, it gets darker, but her black outfit would blend in with a black, dark background. And so it, you'd have to add a glow around her to make her pop out from the background. So my choice when we did the series was use the Jim Lee white outfit because I got rid of all those problems. And so that, that was a choice. That was a choice. It was a production reason why I um, chose, instead of the original costume, let's use the white costume because it works better. And it's less work overseas trying to tell people, well, make sure to put a glow behind her, which is an optical effect, which is more work, more chances for it to get messed up. So I had production reasons for that. Yeah, and I think Larry's talking about there's such respect for the for the comics in this. And we were when we were writing the stories, we were writing as if these were primetime dramas starring mm-hmm. 30-year-old adults, because yeah. that's the what you know the in the comic books, they were writing them as serious adults and serious adult dramas. So I said, okay, this this is how it has to be. And we got support from the executives above us. Mm-hmm. So when they're drawing it, it they're drawing, they're serious about drawing these people in looking like believable, even if they're unusual shapes, looking like believable human mm-hmm. beings as opposed to f- kind of flat comic book characters, which, you know, you know, I was at Hanna-Barbera for a couple of years, wonderful people, and they had some great shows there. But nine out of ten times, the default position was simply, okay, do it as quickly and simply and cheaply as, as you can. And a lot of, if you weren't Disney, a lot of studios, that was the, that was the way they survived because animation is very expensive to produce. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera started, you know, in theatrical cartoons where it's spectacular and the animation is flawless. They, even they, when they got into television, realized we've got to tense that budget. You know, we have, you know, Rough and Ready is not going to look as good as what's opera doc you know it's it's just you have to make the adjustment for television and interestingly we really we found out later from stephanie graziano that we were writing much bigger and larry and the designers were drawing much bigger and more expensive really than the budgets could hold and they were just kind of holding it together with with glue and you know what's wire just because we were making these big epic stories and they were serious about the, the design of the characters. And that's, and, you know, when they first, when animation first came back and it looked kind of halfway there, looked pretty terrible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, and they just realized, okay, either we're going to make this look right because the designs are, are, are top notch and ambitious and the scripts are ambitious. We can't produce this halfway and so they put more money into it it became a, a more expensive show than anybody wanted at first still <laughs> right. wasn't a big budget show no. but right. it pushed the, it, we were pushing the artistic side of it and that made them push the financial side of it of course once it became a hit they weren't worried anymore they were all making money so the fact that we made the thing have to be more expensive and more ambitious ended up being a fabulous thing for them but when until it became popular all it was for them was, oh my God, how can we, how can we reduce thirteen <laughs> shows at you know this big for this for this money? Yeah, yeah, it definitely paid off because I mean, as someone who got into comics from the X Men, it was interesting to me looking at the book 
it did feel like this was the same. I mean, there's still images instead of animated, but otherwise it looked very close stylistically to what was on the page, you know, between the show and the and the comic. And also I was kind of getting older. I was I was 12 when X-Men came out and a lot of cartoons didn't hold my interest anymore. But X-Men did because you were also writing at that, you know, higher level where it was like, oh, this isn't a show that talks down to me. Right. Animation doesn't have to be like just for little kids. So yeah, I think it paid off both ways there so larry what would you say you're most proud of from the art standpoint uh, of x-men i guess from the art standpoint i'm really proud that i was able to bring a comic book to life on the screen i i was a that was my deliberate attempt to take take a comic book put it up on the screen and so so that you could enjoy it and to and to have an example for people that would follow us, that it works. If you respect the source material that it's based upon, there's a reason why it's successful. So if, if you can take this, take the book, put it on the screen. I mean, you have to make changes because you're adapting from one media to another, but, you know, kind of make changes when you have to, but not just because you can. And so that's, that was my philosophy. So I just, I'm proud of, most proud of, of um, bringing the books to life. And the people who do know the books, when they watch the shows, they'll they'll catch certain scenes that are directly direct. You know, I took certain comic book panels and I put it into the show. So if you're if you're cognizant of what the story is in the book, it's like, oh, that's that's on page seventeen, or that's panel two, or whatever, something like that. I would dress it up with a, I guess you call it Easter eggs now, but it was more of a homage to. If if the story worked, I'd drop it in. Yeah, I really love the cameos that you would throw in like, oh, here's Doctor Strange for like two seconds on the screen or something like that. I thought that that was great because by that point I'd started reading comics and getting into comics. And so in the later seasons of X-Men, when all those cameos would happen, I'd be like, oh, wow, there's the Watcher, you know, things like that. <laughs> and there's a story behind all that, because originally in the first season, I think it's season one, I tried to put cameos in like. Here, you know, have the X-Men go through scene and maybe there's Spider-Man hanging underneath the ledge or something like that. And when I tried to do something like that, it got, I got for management saying, no, you can't, you can't do Spider-Man. And they didn't give me a reason why. But one of the other episodes, subsequent scripts that came up was um, Slave Island. When the writers had key figures, but they also had a whole bunch of other mutant slaves. So what I did was I brought in my collection from home because there was no internet. And put you know put stuff on the Xerox machine, make copies, and said, okay, make this one Sunfire, make this the Blob, make this specific characters from the books, but I kept the original names from the script, like Mutant One, Two, Three, Four, Five, and when I put that into the system for approvals, it went through, and I was like, oh, okay, now <laughs> <laughs> learn to work within the system. <laughs> yeah, so that's where all the all the cameos came from because I kept. I would never use the original name, the real names. I'd call it yeah. something like uh, the Watcher was a outer space mutant or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> nice. You just throw the word mutant in it, and it was not no problem at all. I think one of the more remarkable sequences for me, going back, and I'm I'm trying to find the right one, but I'm gonna say it was in in the Phoenix sagas, where they're they're up in the in the ship, and if you just it's remarkable, Larry, how you how each X-Men is up against a, a different kind of character. 
they're all fighting full on and and there's no there's no break in the action there's no lull there's no one of the characters just kind of like oh huh, no i mean it's full action the entire right. sequence everybody it's it's remarkable to to see how and, how much got done and and i i hate yeah i hate to say it but in watching uh superhero movies since our show in the 30 years since our show <laughs> it's been a few. Yeah. one of the first things that gets me larry larry can see it as well as when okay you've got five or six characters as julie's saying and they're confronting adversaries and they start fighting and it's it, it's, it's like choreography yeah on stage or or in a, in, a, in a good movie you notice if they're not servicing all the x-men if you know what happened to storm and gambit they were right in the middle of this and Wolverine's about to get killed and nobody's helping him. You, know, you right. just, filmmaker, you've lost track of half your X-Men. Where are they? <laughs> you just want to you know, shake them and say, you got, if you bring six X-Men into a scene, you have to keep track of them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that was just something that from the writing side and the art side, we just killed ourselves over because we <laughs> didn't, I just, I, I get something from, the, from a writer and say, well, look, we either need to drop, you know, leave a couple of these people at home you know, and not have them be part of the fight, or we need to make the fight bigger and have them service because mm-hmm. it's just, it's not playing out. And I don't know why that sticks in my craw, but I just, I can't watch any of the superhero movies if they don't do that well. Uh, some of them do it really well, like the like the first big Avengers movie, the Josh Whedon one, how he juggled, set like six or seven lead characters, brought them together, had them fight, and deal with, and get in trouble and come out of it. It yeah. was just he has thought this through and it it it's seamless. And yeah. some of the others haven't. Yeah, that's funny that you bring that up because that's always been one of the things that I say about that first Avengers movie is that with the power discrepancy that you have between the characters that they had and to be able to utilize them so well as far as what are all of them going to be doing in a fight. I was like, that, that's one of the real highlights of that first Avengers movie. And yeah, uh, what Julia was mentioning from the Phoenix Saga Part 4, where the X-Men are fighting the Imperial Guard on Deken's ship. And right. that fight is beautiful because of all that. And the way that the fights interact with each other, too. Like, a character will get knocked away and then ends up fighting somebody else or all of that. But you get a sense of where everybody is and how it's all flowing yeah. even though it's all happening kind of at the same time too. It's like, yeah, it's, it was really, it was really well done. Yeah. And that was, I guess it's part of the, the, I, I, um, with the script and also with the, with the talent I would hire for doing storyboards, I, I try and hire people that understood that type, that same logic of, of, get, you know, keeping track of a group attack and, um, you know, having people that I, that I work with, it's like, God, it's, it's so much easier if I have people that are professional that I can figure it out so I don't, I don't have to sit down and redraw it all. Um, so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> That's like what Eric was talking about before, getting the people that you can trust to just do the work yeah. so you don't have to step in and yeah. do a lot. Yeah. 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 I Sometimes I would, on uh, when I would create like a, a, a montage, I, I took a trip, I took a trick from the old Westerns you know, when he, the Westerns guy comes in and starts a fight and does a fight everywhere. And what I sometimes I would do is I, I just lock the camera down. And then you see fights coming in and out, back and forth. So And so the choreography, you don't have to worry about because you say, okay, here's Gambit. Okay, here's the juggernaut. Here's this character. Here's that character. 
And that, that sometimes services the, sh the, the uh, action a little bit. So you don't have to keep track, but you know the fight's going on and everybody's, you know, fists, fists are going everywhere, that kind of stuff. So that was, that's a, something I, I would do once in a while also, pull out the old Western. So um, Eric and Julia, while you were looking through all this material and learning about the art and the process and all that, because, uh, you know, you, your thing had been the scripts before. Was there anything that really stood out to you as far as something that you hadn't known before or just, just interesting, something interesting that you discovered? Just the sort of taking a step back and a deep breath and appreciating the, what is it, pencil mileage? That was a term <laughs> Stephanie Graziano used, and I had not heard that before. But the fact that a human being did this drawing and then another human being did it's, it's the, the amount of effort involved was remarkable and it came back to her to have to budget it because she'd have she'd <laughs> give them the script and the storyboard with all this action in it and the people over at acom would say well that's double the budget to draw all that and yeah. they'd go be some sort of back and forth well maybe you could simplify this or you know what seems the most demanding maybe we can trim the beginning of the scene maybe we could start halfway into that and and yeah. save you guys some 40 of your animators, you know, a couple of days of hard work. And just knowing the incredibly huge management, the job, like as a general contractor, yeah. imagining the hundreds of people between here and Voices in Toronto and ACOM overseas to do actual animation, all getting all those people together and managing it and getting through it on this modest budget in these very tight schedules and having it work pretty well and having it not just blow up and just, <laughs> I just had this incredible respect for Stephanie's ability. I mean, I, I credit to her because it was her company just to keep heard on all that, you know, to just, just what a monumental undertaking it was because everybody has a perspective. The voice people is like, well, what's my character doing this scene? Mm -hmm. And how did my character grow during this season? For us, it's what, where have the stories gone? And yeah. for Larry, I'm sure it's somebody else. And for, but for Stephanie, she, it was everything. It was how right. many characters, how many props, how many, you know, what are they going to have to draw overseas? What can they not manage or what do they have time to fix? And, you know, Larry and Stephanie and them, when it came back, well, we can fix, they can maybe do retakes on a third of this, but right. we don't have time to do retakes on the other two thirds. How do we fix the broken stuff that we don't have time to do retakes on, do we cut away from it? Do we put, Scott Thomas was, was talking about putting, you know, an image from another episode in just, just as a cover, you know, as a, a reaction shot yeah. to cover yeah. something that didn't animate well. Yeah. You know, however it was in, in post when they had to bring it all together and make it seem seamless. Yeah. And you'll, you'll, if you watch the series, you obviously you'll, you'll see a lot of, um, mistakes that never got fixed it's rampant all over but they only had so much money to get it done and it had to be done by a certain time to be delivered so that's unfortunate that that happened but you know we we had no time and no budget you know we had to just do what we had we just got it wow. done you know yeah what's fascinating to me from someone who was watching it at the time and would re-watch it a lot when it was on rerun is that effort was taken even after something had first come out to fix it so that when it was rerun, 
there, oh, you know, yeah. sometimes it was fixed in the rerun where it wasn't, you know, cause I had, I had taped them on their original. And so I could compare it and go, wait a minute. I don't remember it looking like that. And I'd go back and be like, no, it didn't look like that originally. So I know that that happened a few times too. So I, I found that really interesting that that care was put into it and not just say, well, it already went out that way. So there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. I think part of that is luckily that's the, it was the, it was the success of the series that they found the money to actually make the shows better. You know, dropping those retakes. There's a bit of a meme going around right now. People watching it now that it's available on Disney Plus. Every now and then, the flash on the screen cut these frames out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but but that just shows you the dedication of people who are watching the show who catch that as it as it literally flashes by. Yeah, uh, yeah, there was effort to try keep trying to plus it. Yeah, because like that that type of that type of error that got put on Disney Plus. What the what it was is that. It came from the negative as opposed mm -hmm. to the cut film. And so right. that's why it was still there because the uh, negatives were pure. But what the, the stuff that went on the air was the, the cut copy. And so that's why, yeah, you saw cut these frames. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what that's from. Yeah, I actually wish in some cases that I kept my VHS tapes because oh, you know, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't watched the series through on Disney Plus, but I have the DVD releases. And yeah. there are cases where the DVD releases had errors that weren't there on my VHS tapes <laughs> where they had used a different version or whatever. And I was like, oh, I wish I still had my tapes. <laughs> yeah. So where can people buy X-Men, the art and making of the animated series? Eric and I are online these days. X-MenTAS.com is our website for X-Men, the animated series. X-Men TAS on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. And at those places in our profiles or bios, there are links through to Amazon where you can get both X-Men the Animated Book and previously on X-Men the Oral History. And hopefully, uh, as the world opens up, you may be able to find it at your local Barnes & Noble or your local comic book shop. We encourage shopping local, but we know the world's been upside down the last couple of years. But please, you know, uh, seek it out. Seek it out. Yeah, I mean, and just to put in my own endorsement, these are really high quality books. For me, as a longtime fan, previously on X-Men was a huge page turner. Just learning more about the details behind the scenes. The interviews page was really, really great because a lot of the creative people, Larry plus Michael and Mark Edens, who we mentioned, as well as many of the other writers and voice actors that worked on the series, Eric conducted interviews with them. And so we have their points of view also from working on the series. So it's a really, really great book. And the art book, look at that because there's so many things in there of different stages of the art production, line art, finished art, design work, all kinds of different things are in that book as well. So um, I definitely recommend getting those books if you're an X-Men fan. But now, moving on to the very exciting news that came, <laughs> I don't know, two or three months ago. And this is funny because, you know, Larry, when we had talked, you'd kind of hinted that maybe something was happening. And in previously on X-Men, Eric, you had mentioned what you wanted to do if you could continue the series. Right. But I'm reading that going, oh, no, like Disney will never want to continue an old. They'll want to have their new version of X-Men that they, you know, have complete control over and have built from the ground up right and then we got the fascinating news that there is going to be the x-men 97 series on disney plus yeah. so i guess my first question is 
what is the timeline on that? Because like I say, you know, there's been sort of maybe hints and rumors that this might be happening for a long, long time, but now there's actual movement on it. So uh, who contacted who and how did it get started? <laughs> it's coming out. It's scheduled to come out mid mid to late next year. So 2023. Kind of basically a year and a half from now. So it's a yeah. long, it's a long time in the future. They've got Such a hard schedule. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is crazy. <laughs> And to be to be, to be oh, honest, okay. the 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 nice thing is it it is I mean we can't talk much about it because you know we got non disclosure agreements and mm. we don't want to spoil anything and we we actually haven't been told everything about it yet but it is a continuation from our show it takes place a little bit after just after ours is finished there'll be references to our show so we'll go into it assuming pe- people have seen the first. Uh, you know, have seen our show, mm. and it's almost it's entirely the same characters, very much the same look. Yeah. They've kind of spruced up and modernized a little bit. Larry can get more into what they've done with with the character design, but it's really very close. You you can't mistake them. You know, it's it's not from a, a different show. It's paying homage to our show. Mm-hmm. And Larry can tell you they when we were brought on in November, they had already you know this huge crew of 50, 60 yeah. people <laughs> on a Zoom yeah. call like this. And all these just, they were all oh. real sincere fans. Yeah. You know, there, as, as the showrunner said, you know, a lot of tears that day. Yeah, uh, special. So there are a lot of these 20 and 30 somethings that grew up, you know, from the time they were tiny watching the show mm-hmm. and loving the show. And now they're, they're bringing this 30 years later, they're bringing a, they're, you know, they're reimagining might be too strong, but their extension of the show with respect, not only to our show, but to the books. I mean, the right. showrunner Bodemayo knows the books better than I did. And so he's not, he's starting with it being an extension of our show, but there's, as, as, as I read what they've come up with, there are more, there are more specific, if, if you know and love the books, there are more specific references to them than, you know, when we were doing the first 13, we were just like, how can we just make 13 episodes that make sense and, are, and, and work and are exciting? And you only yeah. had 30 years of X-Men yeah. history up until 1992. Now they've got 60 years. Now they've now they got 60 yeah. years yeah. to work with. Yeah, so so it's they have been working on this for like a year. They put great amount of thought into it, and it really fits the tone and the focus of our show best. We can tell from the, the time we spent with them, and we're all they all ask for our opinion on stuff, and we're there to to advise, but. Well, and can we just say how grateful we are that uh, we've been included in the process because yeah. Hollywood can be real ugly sometimes. Yeah. Larry, and, can, Larry can tell you that people, all sorts of good people that did an original hit. And when they do a reboot, they're they never call. They yeah. never call the original people. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that they've reached out to us, to Larry, to the voice, to talent. The voice talent. Oh my God. Was this an outgrowth out of the Disney Plus viewings that were they so high that they said, "Oh, like we we have to do a follow up series because there's so much." I would yeah. guess, and there, were, there are two things that kind of highlighted that for us. One of them is Julia found this wonderful <laughs> list from a couple of years ago when before Disney Plus had started, like a few months. Well, no, before. no, Disney Plus was already on the air, but oh, okay. they hadn't aired everything else. Oh, okay. Everything was yeah. It was just getting started up and. They they had, had had asked the fans over web you know various websites whatever what is it you're most excited about for Disney Plus to put on there of all their properties all their <laughs> Star Wars properties all the you know, Mandalorian whatever 
all their Pixar properties, all their Marvel properties, all their Marvel movies, all their Disney animated properties, all their Disney movies, out of all that wealth of popular culture, mm-hmm. what are your, and they had a list of about a hundred. Yeah. And at the very top, oh. <laughs> some distance above the, the other 99 was X-Men, the animated series. Nice theory. Yeah. That's what the fans <laughs> were most excited about. Out of all yeah. that ocean of possible things that they could have loved, that's what they're looking forward to most. So yeah. that, that obviously, these are not stupid people. <laughs> oh, discerning. Oh. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 fan, the fans are still there for this, and yeah. we have we have a we have a feeling that they knew they were doing this show. And one of the reasons that they asked us, paid us to do the art book, was they wanted to be able to show. I mean, a lot of stuff here wasn't popularly available. I mean, we found this in people's basements, in people's mm-hmm. archives. So if you're a new person doing a new and doing a new show, if you can hand yeah. this book out to you know 70 artists, you don't have to try to explain what it is about the first series that made it special. It's all there in the book. <laughs> so, so it's like it's like we helped them with the book, I think, get the new series started because they're using yeah. it as a template. We but, like to think so. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And they said so the artists were saying they are Larry, did they tell you they, they used all this as 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 a basis point. Okay. This is what they did with Gambit in the first show. What are we going to do that's very close to that, but slightly new? And they're yeah. just using that as the as the basis for it. Yeah. The look of the show is very close to what we did, but it's more of a modernized version for today. But you, you can see all the characters in the show. So it's continuity of what, what's been done before, just more modernized. And it looks, re- looks really nice. So I think people will, the fans will appreciate the look of what new series is going to be about and that the unfortunate thing unfortunately you know we we lost cyclops but so they're mm-hmm. going to get somebody new for that but other than that i i really was very happy when they called the uh, voice actors the original voice mm-hmm. actors and gave them their shot to come back and re- reprise their characters because like eric was saying a lot of times when you re- when they redo something it's like the original people are out of sight, out of mind. You know, they never call you back. They never even give you a call or anything. So yeah. it's really good. The thing I wanted to mention is that without saying anything, I can't describe, I can't talk about it that much, but I did see an action sequence, an uh, animatic of, of what, of one of the uh, action scenes. It looked really good. <laughs> and uh, so I, I can tell you that, that they, they're, they're really, they, they're getting into it and having fun with it. And they're, all the people working on it seem to be fans of the show. So they're, everything's done from the heart, it feels like. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, I mean, because that was, that was one of the things I was curious about, because even with the series that we had in the 90s, that final season, the art style is very different from most of the episodes prior to that. So All about the money. All right, about the exactly. money. Budget slashed, slashed. But but even so, with the final season, there were some episodes in that final season. And I think the show wrapped itself up so nicely with final mm-hmm. episode graduation day, just yeah. for the fans of the show. Some series don't stick the landing, I think, even in spite of, I think, X-Men, the animated series did. And yeah, yeah the fact that they're going to roll forward from there is, is really gratifying. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is it is going to be uh, strange in some ways to have some voice actors come back. And then obviously some characters like Cyclops, we can't we have Norm Spencer doing the voice, uh, Magneto, 
it will not be David Hemblin's voice and, and things like that. So it will be a little bit strange, you know, having sort of the mix of voices. But who is coming back to, uh, to do the series? Beast and Rogue and Wolverine are the, the, the three core ones. George Butha, Cal Dodd, and Lenore Zan are coming back as those characters. Yeah. And we understand that other voice talent has been contacted to come back. They may not be in their original roles, but would be used in other capacities, which I think is wonderful. So right. those three we know for sure. And there are five or six others, uh, like Allison Court and, uh, uh, and others that are, that, as she said, they will have roles. They just, Allison won't be Jubilee anymore. They'll, they'll, right. they'll, get, they'll get a new younger actress for that. Yeah. But the fact that they're wanting to use as many from the original cast as they can yeah. Uh, yeah. is just, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's a great commitment on their part to, mm-hmm. to the continuity from what we did. Yeah. 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 Are any of the writers coming back to write any of the episodes? No. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a case it's just a case of Bo sold his idea of the show mm-hmm. to, to Marvel to whoever it was that makes these final decisions there you know about a year ago and he has his own team as we did it's like mm-hmm. we're talking about you know we were in our 30s when we did it and we had the people we relied on and you know Stanley was there he was in his late 60s we're in our 60s yeah. <laughs> so we're looking back and we're watching these these young whippersnappers do <laughs> do the new show. We're happy to you know to to weigh in with our opinion, but it's really it's got to be their new show, and they got to rely on the people that you know. We won't turn down a script, you know, if they, if they, <laughs> if they need one done in a, in a hurry. Yeah, you know, right. we know the characters. We've done it before. <laughs> but to be honest, it just it has to be going you to know, give them a shot and make and and make their show however reverent, however close they want to be to our show. But yeah, as I said, I just, they have their own folks and we understand that. We didn't, we didn't expect to come in, you know, in the right, in their writer's room, but we're thrilled that we're, we're there as consultants. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that is really great because, you know, as a fan of the series, I don't want to see them basically say like, we're going to do our own thing. And it's like, well, it's not really continuation if you don't have anything from the original. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Will the core group of X-Men change? Let me uh, say this. Oh, or Larry, if you want to. Uh, oh, just go ahead. go ahead. X-Men 97 picks up where X-Men the Animated Series wrapped up. So, so if Do with that what you will. Right. So, so it's going to be really close. Yeah. It's if you want to really... rewatch the whole series <laughs> and wrap it up and be ready for the new show, you will not be uh, in, in the wrong place. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what they're doing about the theme? Do we um, know what they're doing about the theme? Is yeah, the like if they're going to use the original theme or if they're going to compose something new or... It was published on... I think I saw it on, on Twitter or something. I, it, um, the original theme... I'm trying to remember what, what was public about it. I heard that Ron Wasserman, the composer of that, yeah. and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, who deserves yeah. all the credit in the world, was scheduled to go speak with the folks there at, at Marvel Animation at X-Men 97 right. um, sometime January, February. I have not heard the results of that. Right. And, and, and who knows, Chaim Saban, who was involved in, in all sorts of ways with the show, for good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. He built his career on music rights. Yeah. 
yeah. from the very beginning, from years before X-Men started. So he's probably the most sav savvy person on the planet when it comes to music rights. I wouldn't be surprised if, however the X-Men TV show got sold to various people and ends up back in Disney's hands and Marvel's hands, that he still has some sort of interest in the music. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know. I'm just guessing since that's his, that's his world-class thing that he, you know, he built his career on. He yeah. probably still has a hand in, in where that music's played and how it's played. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's such an iconic part of the show. And even if they oh, updated yeah. the visuals or something, it'd be, it'd be great if they could include that as the, as the opening music. And, and yes. I, I'm yeah. sure they, I'm sure they will, if they can, if, yeah. if there's some sort of impediment, Obviously, they're still going to have a show next year, but I'm sure they will bend over backwards to make that happen. Yeah, I think they'll do their best. So there's a movement online. I'm not sure how how big it's gotten, oh, no. but there's a uh -huh. movement online that that the previously on X Men, as read by Norm Spencer, should be included, even if they recast. <laughs> you know, even though they're recasting Cyclops. Do you guys know if there's any if there's any talk about that? I may be part of that movement. I think oh, that was okay. said, oh yeah, they need to do that. They really need to do that. <laughs> yeah, so um, be great. Yeah, it, it would be it would be perfect. It yeah. would be the only way to do that. But but I don't have any news for you except that I agree. That's a great yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree with it. Yeah. It'd be great to see, to hear him oh. to to be a part of the new show previously on X-Men. Yeah, I think it would be a nice tribute anyway to, yeah. to yes. his work. Yeah. Yes. And are there, all right, so I know you're covered by NDAs, but in vague terms, is there anything you can say <laughs> other than it takes up where the, or the show, uh, you know, uh, left off, like anything you can say about the, the direction of the show? Nope. Um, <laughs> okay. No, other than, other than what I said before, like I, like I did see an animatic, it looked great, great mm -hmm. action. I can, you know, I can say that. And I can say it's the characters from X-Men, the animated series, the ones that you knew and hopefully fell in love with. Here they are again. Have yeah. you seen any of the scripts, Eric and Julia? A couple. Mm -hmm. we, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. Okay. Right. Well, no, I know you can't say anything <laughs> about it. I'm just asking <laughs> we've, if it's... We've seen a couple of the scripts and we've seen yeah. a, the, uh, ten, the Bible. a 10 story story arc, mm -hmm. you know, 10 premise story arc for, yeah. the, for the season. So, so we've got a, we've got a sense of, who they're focusing on, what the adventures are, where it starts out, what the complications are, where it ends up at the end of the season. So we've got, yeah, we've got a sense of that for sure. Yeah. So you're 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 talking very positively about it. So I, <laughs> so good thoughts <laughs> yeah, then yeah, about yeah. <laughs> even if we don't know anything about you know the details, uh, you know you're you're endorsing it. So that's good. Exactly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. All right. So final question. Looking back at the last 30 years, and that's kind of crazy for me, as I'm sure it's kind of crazy for you yeah. to think about the fact that it's 30 years now of, of you know, since X-Men the Animated Series started. How do you feel that X-Men and, and your version of X-Men not only just has a fandom, but is also something that is generating new content? I am very proud of the legacy that we created. It was all, everything was from the heart. And you got to remember back then when we were creating the show, every season we had no idea that we were going to have a season two right. or a season three. So everything was done uh, from the heart to make it the best we could. But if they had told us like the new kids, 
if they had told Eric, hey, Eric, we got, you got a two-year commitment to do these stories. I mean, it'd be, be, <laughs> it would have been so much nicer. Yeah. I could, I could plan out the visuals. He could plan out all the plots. We'd have so much more fun with integrating all the storylines and everything. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think some of that showed when we got the third season okay. They said, okay, here, you can do season three through five. And they gave us extra time. And they let us do big things like uh, Phoenix Saga. Phoenix Saga. Mm-hmm. And they let us lay out, okay, we want to meet Nightcrawler, but you know, we have to, don't have to meet him in the first 10 episodes. We could meet him in episode, you know, the 15th episode of this commitment. The, Larry's right. The first two seasons were get 13 done, hope people watch it. Thank goodness. Get 13 <laughs> more done, hope people watch it. Thank goodness. Yeah. And then it's just like, finally, okay, they believe in us. that They've gone from 26 to 65. And when that happened, there was more time, a, little, a lot more time, a little more money, and more, more, more time to, to just think through what we really wanted to show with the characters, rather yeah. than quick. What's what's the best Wolverine story can you do? Great, do done next. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that, was a, that type of thing. Yeah, but 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 you're right. It's I can't I I can't imagine what having two and a half years to, to do ten episodes would be like. <laughs> I kind of think that there was a certain excitement and energy in our lack of being able to ever second guess ourselves. And so that's kind of cool and exciting looking back at the young version of myself able to do that. But as Larry would tell you, there are a lot of things. Also it's, it's a Disney plus, so it can be a little more adult. There are all sorts of, you know, things we had to fudge a little on. You can't really show a gun. You can't show anybody really punching each other you can't there are certain things that you just couldn't do because okay it's for kids saturday morning and there were right. these real serious yeah. limits and we yeah. got through most of that 80 percent of that was fine but there were you know there were times where we just said okay fine it's 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 what we signed up for we'll do this softer version or we'll we'll cut that out of the story or he'll cut that out of the image and they they have more leeway that way it's 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 Streaming, yeah. it's it doesn't have the same sensor level that, that right. ours did. So they're gonna that's gonna be a benefit to them. They'll get to go through some adult moments that we could only hint at. Right. But shout out to Avery Coburn, who was the Fox Kids uh, broadcast standards and practices person, because if she hadn't been on mm. the game as she had been, if she hadn't let X Men be what it was, we wouldn't be having this conversation 30 years later about what the yeah. show meant to people because we couldn't have done it. Yeah, it, she wouldn't have let it happen. Yeah, so credit to her. Yeah, yeah, it was always amazing to me as a viewer the things that were like, wow, that's really adult. And then there were things that it's like, oh, okay, we're doing the peasants storming the castle, you know, in the Nightcrawler episode. Mm-hmm. And then laser yeah, got, guns start got coming laser up. Guns. I know, I know, it's crazy. <laughs> You had me up until that moment. (laughs) Yeah. I found uh, Eric down some notes just this week from back then. We're just going through files and stuff. And you would sort of to keep track for yourself for the first 13, because neither one of us knew the books. Larry, you're the one you and Will and other folks under knew the X-Men material. But one of the notes to yourself in the first episode was, remember, people don't know who the X-Men are. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. And at the beginning of this whole project in 1992, the, the general audience out there, the people of America, the people of the rest of the world didn't know who the X-Men were. 
And right. I, here we are 30 years later, that's, that's, I am the person who will always say X-Men, the animated series, was the bridge. And opened the, up. From the comic book fandom to what was then the universe of live action films. And if, if they hadn't had the success with the X-Men live action films, they would not have been able to then go forward with Iron Man and Thor right. and the Avengers. Yeah. So I, I will stand on that. And frankly, from the time of the animated series until probably about the first Avengers movie, the most popular comic book characters in America, at least, uh, were the were the X Men. Yeah, and, yeah, and Larry made the point. He says we showed Hollywood that you could take you could take comic books and put them on the screen mm-hmm. and have them be something that all ages could be excited about watching. Of course, now it's a given. It's probably half the most profitable movies in the history of yeah. pictures are co- comic book movies, but they really weren't until then. That be uh, uh, Once every 10 or 20 years, it'd be a Batman or a Superman, and then it would piffle out. There'd be a good one, and then it'd be a bad one, and they'd stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so, yeah. Now it's a genre. It didn't used to exist, and yeah. now science fiction superheroes are a genre. And again, I think X-Men, the animated series, was the thing that opened yeah. the gateway for that to, to, to become yeah. creatively going from yeah. the craft of comic book writing, which is really difficult. Oh my God. <laughs> it always is, I just, I don't know if, if, if I could do a half decent one, if I were, were asked to, because it's, you know, it's its own craft and having translated that on screen, we've somehow, we just dove in the deep end and did it with all of our instinct and just said, well, what, what, what about all this world makes for the best TV? And Larry grew it and made it move. And suddenly all these executives who just, ah, comic books don't make movies, can see, oh, okay, I can watch the Phoenix Saga. That's a 110-minute story. I can get into that. My kids want to watch it six times. Maybe there's something here. And I I think the fact that also what worked like from the beginning is that Eric and the staff he brought with him didn't know the comic books, which is actually an asset, an asset actually, because they didn't come in with all the minutia that a that a comic book a comic book fan would have about you know knowing what happened in issues forty seven and issue sixty nine and trying to incorporate that into their imagination. They were able to take a look at the mythology with fresh eyes and just okay distill it down to something that an, an audience for seeing for the first time could track. The, the characters and the emotion and character and story arcs and they were able to adapt it to a general audience and I think that was, that was a strength yeah from my point of view you took what because this, this is what I think a lot of the ad- adaptations get wrong whether they're animated or live action you looked at the truth of the character and made sure that that was consistent within the show with the various characters you picked of using and not worrying about the details of story so much as the truth of the characters. There's a lot of times where I don't like the adaptation because even though they might try to do like their own version of the Phoenix saga or whatever, the the characters don't feel right. And if the characters don't feel right, then it doesn't, it doesn't feel like the, you know, the the thing that I love, whereas you can change the details as long as the characters are right. Yep, exactly, exactly. So yeah, Eric and Julia, 
you know, how do you feel about the fact that, that, that there's still more like, you, you know, you're talking about, you know, all the things that you accomplished and everything, but how does that make you feel to know that there's a new series and, and using that version, you know, that you, that you worked on? It's gratifying. I mean, yeah. she can tell you, it, it, yeah. it, it felt, it felt very good. And, mm-hmm. and Larry knows, you know, we, we put in decades of work in these and, and <laughs> dozens and dozens of shows we've all worked on. I don't yeah. You may hit, you may, you may hit 90 one of these days. I don't know. I stopped counting when I was <laughs> going through your IMDb. Oh. But it's just sometimes it comes together right. And that, and yeah. the, it wasn't like you were trying hard at all the other times, but there's just something so, it just makes you feel so good that you were part of something that worked this well. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you know that there's so many people involved that it's, 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 you can't be egotistical and think it's all you or even half you. There's so many dozens of people involved in any one of them. Yeah. If Avery had been different, no show. You know, right. it's that it's that fragile a thing that, that uh, we were part of and we were part of it and we held it together and we got through it and it, and it exists and it's just wonderful to look back on it yeah. and know that we were part of this thing. And that's, yeah, that's, it's, it, Never, never gets old. Yeah, and with all you for the series, it's, it was like what's the phrase? I think alignment of the stars. It was so many things that came together at once, starting from you know um, Margaret Lesh, who when I was working at Marvel Productions, we I worked on the pilot called Pride of the X Men. We tried to sell it back in the mid '80s with her, and and it didn't go anywhere because nobody, nobody, what the hell's an X Men? They, you know, it didn't go anywhere. But Margaret believed in the show so about six years later when she became the ceo of fox kids that was part of the alignment of the stars and that she could green light a show she brought in eric she brought in will she brought in me she brought in all the people to pull this thing together you know and as you read in eric's book there are times when it, it could have unraveled and there were several points along the line where it was going to almost unravel but it didn't and it stayed together in this group of people where we all put out a good show mm-hmm. and something we felt like we felt like it was um, it was kind of it was proud to have your name behind it because we were trying to do our best and it worked. Yeah, I remember one of the anecdotes from the book about product placement in the show and, and yeah, yeah, you know, like what show rejects product placement and who has the people that are all willing to say, Hey, we're going to walk and we'll support you. If you walk, if, if they're, they're, you know, they insist on, Oh my God, this is the Australian happy meal toy. That's that's storm in her tricycle. Yeah. <laughs> and that would have been a disaster for the show. If you were forced to incorporate those elements. Absolutely. They wanted to do that. They wanted us to do that. Yeah. 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 And so we said no <laughs> <laughs> right and usually cartoons are built on product placement you know and so yeah. that's that's one of those things you had the right people in place that they were all willing to stand together on the we're not going to do this we're not gonna kidify or water down the the stories that we're trying to do the thing that i remember also is that we were we had a, all of us had a collective vision of how of the show we wanted to try and do which didn't involve product placement up until the first ratings came out, you know, we were the only ones who believed in the show. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. everybody didn't say they thought it was going to be one and done, like 13 episodes, 
in and out. Nobody would remember it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we're coming up on time here now. And Eric, Julia, Larry, thank you so much for being on the show. And just as you go, um, why don't you say goodbye to everybody and let them know if there's any content or anything that you want to promote uh, other than X-Men 97, of course, that's, uh, that's coming out. So um, Larry, how about you? But the content, I would say you can contact me on, on Twitter, on X-Men Director. You can find me there. That's probably the best place. I mean, I have a website, Larry, www.larry-houston.com, but you can communicate. The, but the, the Twitter seems to be the fastest. I've been doing, I've been doing stuff for, for Marvel. They've been hiring me to draw covers for them. And uh, that's been fun. It's like part of my bucket list. I get to check that off that I actually got published by Marvel. Oh, that is excellent. Glad to hear that. I'll contact you later to find out what what you've got going because I'd like to take a look at that. But uh, yeah, Eric and Julia, uh, again, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, yeah, if you could just say goodbye and let people know where they can find you or if you have any projects coming up that they should check out. X-Men TAS for X-Men the Animated Series. We've got that on xmentas.com. Also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, please try and find us. You know, we're, we try and interact with folks as best we can and just keep carrying the torch for good old X-Men. Yeah, and Nathan, <laughs> thanks, thanks for remembering Michael. He would have appreciated it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, anytime. And yeah, uh, it's great talking about Michael. Great talking about a show that I loved. And take care, and, and maybe we'll have you on the show again when, when X-Men, uh, you know, <laughs> 2000 comes out or whatever comes next. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right, take there care. Take care. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2021. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42 cast.com. Theme music is sharper swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42 cast is a proud member of the ESO network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.